You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Behrens, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Behrens, 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Tactical Kitchen Show. Well, that was so normal, and you've done normal for two weeks in a row now, so I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what to say I, about that. I almost called it the shirt show. The shirt show. Oh, my gosh. Okay, first <laughs> of all, this is episode 67. Um, we've been doing this new thing. We we don't have like real cable, so we watch shows on Netflix and all that crap. Yeah, we pick random stuff, see if we like it, you know. I've never wanted to watch this show, and I don't know how we ended up watching it, but it's called The Good Place, and oh my gosh. It's, it's really funny. It's so forking funny. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those shows that uh, you, you don't have to be all that invested in to watch, and it's funny regardless. And how they, they can't say cuss words. It's great. No, because it's supposed to be the... And we're not going to give anything away, but it's the good place. And so everything is bull shirt. And, bull shirt. So this yeah. is the tactical shirt show. The tactical shirt show. That's <laughs> mother forking bull shirt. <laughs> yeah. So now we can, you know, uh, kind of cuss all we want and not actually cuss. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I like it. I don't know where this is going. It's going absolutely nowhere right now. <laughs> it's, on, it's on a train bound to the bad place. So, uh, oh, speaking of the bad place and the good place, we've been in a good place, like that segue, of, of you know, continuing to kind of lose weight. First of all, I really liked your segue. I just want to say that was really good. I know. It's like I do this for like, well, I don't want to say a living because nobody pays me, but we do this for fun. <laughs> <laughs> we do this for you guys. Well, maybe we do it for ourselves. We're going totally going to the bad place now because we're just doing this for ourselves. No, but yes, you're absolutely correct. We have been in a really good place lately. Um, For anybody who has been listening, first of all, thank you. We really appreciate it. And we have been practicing a little bit different style of intermittent fasting the last few weeks. Yeah, we're so we're still doing the uh, the the smaller eating window. Focusing on more of a late morning, early afternoon type of eating pattern, and it's continuing to slowly kind of just get the weight off. I like your slowly kind of maybe possibly get the weight off. Well, you know, you know, you, you, you know, if you lose like uh, you know, it's it's not like I had a, a ton of weight that I wanted to lose, but I knew I was still about I felt about twenty pounds above my optimal weight. I was about one ninety. And I thought I needed to be about 170. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, this morning I was down to 174 from about 190, which which without having to change anything, still eating the same amount of food, which is weird. And you just continue to kind of slowly, just the weight just starts to come off. It does. And the same thing has happened to me. Like I've lost some weight on the scale and I can tell it in my clothes as well, which is always the big indicator because for me... Scale weight fluctuates, and I just I don't pay as much attention to that as I do items of clothing just because of water fluctuation. But one thing that we did is um, Friday evening or Friday, we kind of 
altered this whole pattern we've been doing of cutting food off, and I ate some food in the evening. Right. You know, uh, just went ahead and, and eat. everybody gets that way on the weekend. They're like, gosh, ah, it's the weekend. It's kind of a celebration. So they usually celebrate with eating more food or, or food that's not, not what you should be eating. Well, and ours is all, you know, obviously it was all keto or, well, it was carnivore. But we had eaten a little bit earlier window that day. Mm-hmm. And I found that I got a little hungry in the evening at about like 630. Yeah. And that's when I looked at you and I said, are you hungry? And you were like, yeah, I kind of want to eat some food. And so normally we've been cutting food off. We're not eating any later than three o'clock, normally two o'clock. And that day we just finished like earlier. It was Mm -hmm. like one. Yeah, it was. And so I found myself a little bit hungry after, you know, working out and stuff. And we went ahead and ate some food. And what was interesting was it wasn't that much food. But it still affected my sleep. And I've, this is the big thing that I've noticed is when I sleep now, eating the earlier eating window and stopping food early, I sleep much deeper and sound. I have just sound sleep. Mm-hmm. And I also feel my body temperature much cooler. My core body temperature, I just feel much cooler while I sleep. I was so hot Friday night. I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I'm so hot. Which makes sense because you're processing. Your body is having to process food. Well, and it took me a little while to fall asleep, too. When normally I can lay down and fall asleep within about 10 minutes right now, I was laying there for a good hour and a half, and I was like, I'm getting so frustrated because I couldn't fall asleep. And it goes back to that, like, I wish I would have known this so much you know, longer ago, so long ago, because I was having so much sleep trouble. And if it would just... If it was just I needed to shift all my food earlier in the day to have better sleep, I, heck, I would have done that a long time ago. Well, and, and I think that getting better sleep is contributing to the continuous weight loss. Because like I said, we're not focusing on calories. We're actually focused on getting getting in all of our food in a window. And we're making sure we're not eating less amount of food. We're eating the same amount of food, if not more. So that's one of those things that people uh, need to be aware of is, is everybody always says the last 10 pounds is the hardest to lose. Yeah. Everybody always talks about that, and they'll they always emphasize. Well, if you're not if you're not in a caloric deficit, you're not going to lose that weight. And this is showing that that's really not all that true because I, I haven't really increased workouts, uh, but I we've just shrunk that window. So, and and I'm losing weight now. And now we're talking about you know it might be a, a few ounces on the scale, but it's that last few pounds coming off. And that is it's always the hardest thing. And for me. I know I still have a little bit, I'd like to lean out a little bit more and particularly for like running, I want to drop a little bit of heaviness so that my runs become easier because the, the less you weigh, the easier it is to run. It's That's science. just, you know, basic, basic math <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I guess aerodynamics. I don't know what that is, but you know, I do want to drop a little bit just so my runs are a little bit easier and it, this is like the easiest way to do it because we just eat all of our food in that early window. And then what's crazy is I feel like I have all this time in the evening to do other things. Yeah, it, free, it frees up so much time that you uh, you just really can't understand until you do it because you're not preparing food, cooking food, and then cleaning up after the food. So all you know, all that takes, depending on what you're cooking, an hour to two hours. And now you don't have to stop what you're doing to break for food. Um, something we, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, getting better sleep. Now, why, why does eating 
late disrupt sleep. Okay, so let's get into that a little bit. I, felt, I, I just felt like the robot person off of the show we watched. <laughs> Did you have a glitch? <laughs> I glitched. <laughs> you glitched. So if you hear that pause, it was a glitch. It was a Steve glitch. <laughs> So we, we've been looking into this a little bit, and it's like, why? This makes so much sense. It's just common sense, and it it's mind-blowing that I didn't already think of this. It makes me angry. It's mind-bottling. It is mind-bottling. So circadian rhythm. We all know about the circadian rhythm. If you don't, that's your sleep-wake sleep and awake cycle. It's how your body perceives daylight and then nighttime and tells you when to wake up, when to go to sleep, all that jazz. So your circadian rhythm is directly influenced by light and all those things, like so you can produce melatonin and actually go to sleep. But food has a lot to do with this circadian rhythm. Um, When you wake up in the morning, your cortisol is what wakes you up. And cortisol at that time, it's like at that moment, your digestion, your your body is really ready for food at the early part of the day. And what it wants to do in the evening is cool down and start focusing more on repair. And when we eat late, that kind of disrupts that whole cycle, that circadian rhythm of good sleep and then waking up at an appropriate time. So Probably the reason why I was having poor sleep is I was eating my largest meal later in the day. Mm -hmm. So I never had a chance for melatonin to rise really well. Of course, we all have light around us, artificial light. That's a problem. So we work on that with wearing blue blocker glasses in the evening and, and, you know, shielding our eyes from that blue light from phones. But eating also suppresses melatonin. And that also keeps your body temperature raised up, and you then you can't go into that repair cycle in a good deep sleep, which is what you need to do. Right. So if you're one of those people that feels like you're always hot, you know, either when you get in bed or you need a really cool bed, or you feel like you're you you heat up during the night and you have to kick the blankets off, you might want to look at your eating window and think about maybe eating earlier. Uh, you know, and, and letting your food process before you go to bed. Because, you know, when your stomach is processing food, it, th- it's muscles that are moving. Yeah. So that, that muscle contraction and that muscle movement is going to create create heat. Right. And it's like you're getting a workout on the inside. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, your body is doing work and it can't really focus all of the attention on going into that autophagy that we want to see happen where Mm -hmm. we start repairing parts of cells that need to be repaired and especially for deep sleep that process of when we talk about brain health and neurodegenerative disease that's a time when they say and studies apparently show that the hours between 10 and 10 p.m and 1 a.m are the time when your brain really does its defragmenting is what I call it, but it starts to untangle Mm -hmm. all the different, I don't know the technical terms. All the tangles. All the tangles. (laughs) But it starts to repair and it starts to really um, kind of break down all of the bad junk in your brain. Let's just keep it like an overview here. You get get some plaques and some proteins in the brain, some sticky junk that needs to get cleared up, and that's when that happens. And I wasn't getting that sleep during that time, and that was terrifying to me. Right, yeah, and and here's one of the things. You don't really start to notice that, or maybe you just don't focus on it much until you start getting into maybe your late 30s, early 40s. 
And there's a reason why that, you know, as a, as a, like teenagers can sleep forever. Like they just, you know, our son who's 16, if I don't wake him up, he'll just sleep until noon. Right. Like they can just continue that sleep because our body still uh, doesn't have all these issues. So when you start to get, you know, late thirties, early forties is when you really start to run into a lot of health issues for pretty much everybody. Well, and think about this. The longer you live, the more you need repair, right? Right. The more we damage ourselves, the more repair that we need. So that sleep cycle becomes really, really important. And we don't want to disrupt it by doing things, simple things like eating a big meal right before bed Mm -hmm. that can disrupt that, that repair cycle that needs to take place. And let's face it, the older we get, the more we are falling apart and the more repair we need. It's absolutely true. So that's why when you start getting in that late... 30s, early 40s, depending on what your health journey has been up to that point, you're probably going to need more sleep and better sleep. And if you don't get that, then you're going to just, it's going to be this compound issue where it keeps getting worse and worse and worse if you don't start addressing it right now. Well, I tell you what, like Friday night was miserable. Saturday night was better. It started to fix itself. Last night, I think we went to bed at like 930 I'm pretty, it was 946. 946. Okay? D- don't shortchange me that 60 minutes like I'm some old person. <laughs> so it was like 946. I'm pretty sure I was asleep within five minutes of laying down. Yeah, I was and too. turning out the light. And I didn't, I mean, I woke up at about, I still, depending on what, how much I drink at night before, water I drink before bed, I might wake up to go to the bathroom. But it's not until about 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. So I've already had several hours of sleep, and I've, I've met that window of that 10 to 1 of really good deep sleep. Mm-hmm. So I got up and went to the bathroom. At, I guess it was like 3.30, 3.45. Went right back to sleep, and then I heard our son get up at 6 o'clock and heard the dog shake around, and that's, what's, that's what woke oh, that's me what up. That's what got up. So what, what I usually wake up between 120 and 140, I've been noticing, because, again, that's that if you're asleep before 10, you've already gotten your, you know, three, almost four hours of sleep. So you're, you're in that bimodal sleeping phase, which we've talked about before. Most people, and society was like this, you know, before we had, you know, street lights and, and you know, incandescent lights. Uh, people slept in a bimodal sleeping pattern. They, is it bimodal or biphasic? I've seen people say it both ways. It's a, is it both? It's a flux capacitor issue. I is really it, can't explain well, it right now. You know, I'm not sure. So you whatever call you've it, heard it called. You can call it whatever you want. They sleep for a few hours. They would get up in the middle of the night and then go back and sleep for a few more hours. A sleep break. They had. They took a sleep break. A sleep break. And during that time, they would either you know read a book, they would journal, they would visit people, or they would, you know do the uh, horizontal horizontal manga with their, you know, significant other, whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> so they would do, that's what they would do in the middle of the night. And, and that's very well documented. If you go back, go back and do some research, it's, it's very well talked about that that's how people slept. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so if you're, and the reason being I bring that up is because if you're going to sleep and you say, hey, I'm, I'm waking up, you know, around... 132, 2.30 or whatever, and then you get stressed about going back to sleep, don't be. That's natural for you to kind of wake up because you're you're in that, you know, you, you sleep in peaks and valleys. Maybe you're in one of those times where you're the most awake. You wake up, just, you know, get a drink of water, use a restroom, relax for a few minutes, get back in bed, you'll go back to sleep. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I think the older you get, sometimes the more people have that disrupted sleep where, you know, well, we say disrupted, that type of sleep pattern where maybe they fell asleep rather early and then they wake up in that 
middle of the night phase and then go back to sleep. And if you're doing that, it's okay. Don't stress out about it. Yeah. Have you ever, do you ever do that where you come home from school as a kid and you fell right asleep when you got home and you woke up like an hour later and you thought it was the morning and you, yes. got, re- and you got ready for school? Yep. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing. Isn't it? it is weird. It's like a, it's like when you realize that it's actually the same day, it's like you time traveled. It was weird. <laughs> It's a weird feeling. It really is. <laughs> it really is. I, if you if you haven't done it, you should totally try it. Yeah. It's weird. Okay. Uh, but so some other issues you talk about when you when you eat close to bedtime, some other things that you can feel that people talk about that causes sleeplessness. And one of those things is accelerated heart rate. Okay, that's what happens to me if I don't get enough salt, for sure. I also experienced that this weekend. That was part of my no sleep on Friday. I just didn't take in enough salt. And I ate food before bed. I was a nightmare of a situation. <laughs> well, all, all those things uh, start to happen, and then you start questioning what you did or did not do, or you should have d- done more of this or more of that. And it could just be, you know, that you're eating too much food or food that's not easily digestible too close to going to bed. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you have that rapid heartbeat or that. Uh, unregulated heartbeat it's kind of like off or you get that that weird um heavy heartbeat it can be minerals it can be salt you know being one of them sodium but it can also like you said it can be that big meal that you've eaten and your body's just working so hard to digest everything and go through all that process it can just throw everything off and and sometimes you'll notice if you eat a big meal and then you try to go to sleep You'll have that, what I call cursory sleep, where you're just in that first phase of sleep where you never feel like you really went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's that odd place where you don't know if you're really awake or really asleep. And you wake up and you they have that heaviness in your eyes. Yep. And behind your eyes, like you just didn't sleep. And I've done that a lot. And I was doing that so much in the past, uh, recent past, when I was having sleep issues. I'm so mad that I didn't figure this out earlier. I'm well, so mad. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people are in this boat. So you might know someone or maybe it's you that, that is like, hey, that's something that I have to deal with. Another thing that we think could also be associated with that eating, uh, you know, a large meal late or having, you know, having dessert maybe an hour after you had your evening meal, which I'm not going to say we did that. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. Oh, everybody knows we did that. <laughs> we did that with our keto dessert all the time. We did. Um and so one of those things is people talk about not being able to shut their brain down, not being able to key down and go to sleep. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, you raise your cortisol and sometimes it's, uh, you're trying to digest food. You've got all these processes going on in your body and maybe you didn't have enough salt. And I'm just talking from personal experience and then you can't shut your brain down Because A, you're awake and you start stressing. And the more you stress, the more your brain just lights up and gets on, you know, you're on fire. You're just like, well, what about this? And what about that? You can't stop thinking. Well, and and so let's tie this into the the gut-brain connection. And there's all this microbiome research talking about, you know, your gut and how everything that happens in the gut, you know, happens in the brain. If If you're trying to digest and process things, depending on what it is, the excitability or the activity in the gut is going to create activity in the brain. Absolutely. So, so if you're one of those people that always says, I just can't shut my, my monkey brain down. I'm always thinking about stuff. Well, maybe it's what you're eating prior to going to bed that's causing your monkey brain. It, it 100% could be. Um, I mean, it, that's such a, a potentially 
valid point. I mean, what we would eat that had like a little bit of chocolate in it, now I look back and I'm like, that was stupid. Why were we doing that? Well, it tasted good for one. And we would eat that and it had a little caffeine, you know, mm-hmm. and yep. it was uh, it was not uh, sweet by sugar, but it, we had a little bit of berries and we had a little bit of stevia to sweeten it and just that sweet flavor in your mouth all these things kind of like made a perfect storm to keep our body it was a lot of fat so we were digesting it slowly Mm -hmm. because it was fat staying in our stomach longer and then you know just having all of that to work on it just stimulated stimulated your body way too much when it was should have been time to stop and start breaking down cells that need to be repaired and I'm I look back and I'm like, how long have I been like stealing that from my body and not allowing my body to just do its own repair cycle? Yeah, so all, all this points to that if you go ahead and consume your largest meal earlier in the day. So don't try to have your large meal late in the day. Try to make sure that your your first meal or or your mid morning, you know, early afternoon meal is your larger meal, and then perhaps and I know everybody doesn't have this, um, you know. Uh, convenience that we do of always being able to eat, you know, whatever you want. Some people, you know, work long jobs or they work nights or whatever it is. Just try to either move that last meal back a little bit or maybe maybe make sure you change it to something that's more digestible like just meat. Well, you know, if you if you eat your larger meal before 3 p.m. and then you still need to eat a little food in the evening, I think the big thing was switching for us having that huge meal mm-hmm. at night. We would have our, our largest meal after 5 o'clock rather than before, and that was an issue. So even if somebody is working, you can maybe plan to have a larger meal at lunch and then do something smaller in the evening, yeah, um, you know, just a smaller portion or just a little bit just to, to help. But, you know, breakfast and lunch, however you choose to eat. I mean, for us, it's working out to keep that window anywhere from 10 to 1 or 11 to 2. That seems to work best for us. Um, but uh, we, like we said, not everyone has that convenience to do that. No, and, and but it's something that you can start experimenting with. And you don't have to shrink it all the way down immediately to the four-hour window. You can, you know, maybe just start pulling it back a little bit as you go, see how you feel, experiment with it a little bit. And that's what we're doing. We're, you know, we're kind of moving the window around here and there and uh, seeing how we feel. On days, like on a weekend, uh, we've talked before about doing, you know, what we call our, our meat refeeds, where we just we just eat a lot all day. Yeah. So you don't have to stick to it like seven days a week. It has to be this way. You can, you know, do it for a couple of days, see how you feel, go back to normal eating, see how that makes you feel, and go back and forth. Yeah. For me, I think cutting it off about 2 o'clock has been the best thing I've done in a long time. Um, I mean, as good as cutting out dairy has been. Yeah. It, it's been a real game changer as far as how I feel and how I sleep, which, let's face it, with workouts and what we do every day, sleeping is has been my top priority because without it, I just can't recover and then do what I want to do the next day. So this has been the biggest game changer for me as far as getting that recovery accomplished. Mm-hmm. And, so, cause, and that's important because something that we've been talking about doing the past couple of days, and it's funny because, uh, you know, we're always looking at different stuff to do. And we talk about when you train, always do something that's fun. You know, if you're, if, if you're thinking about training and and people are pushing you to go to a CrossFit gym or are pushing you to do a lot of running, 
think about which one you'd rather do that seems more fun to you. Um, now, we always encourage lifting weights. We think that's primarily the way to stay healthy as you age. But one of the things that we've considered doing is maybe training and doing a marathon. I know. I I don't know what put this bug in my bonnet. <laughs> I well, I know exactly what it is. What? Because yeah, so I'm I'm a run coach. I coach run form style pacing programmatic stuff, all that stuff. So I watch videos all the time about running. So sometimes when you watch the inspirational story about somebody that ran a marathon or somebody that ran an ultra. So uh, over the weekend, a couple times, I watched really inspiring stories about people that did some pretty significant uh, events running, and that inspires you. So now you're like, man, maybe we should run a, a marathon. It'd be fun. Yeah, so I got online and started looking at ones in our area, and there's one in November, and I'm not quite sure I'm ready for the one in November. Mm. But, you know, one thing to think about is how the way that we're eating and that we're recovering would affect that because we do our long runs on Monday. So if you guys follow us on Instagram, you'll see, you know, I post about like pretty much everything we do. And so today I did a six mile run and I did at six miles think, holy crap, there'd be 20 more to go. (laughs) But here's the interesting thing. Cardiovascularly, I'm fine. And hunger-wise and energy-wise, I'm 100%. It's crazy that you could run that distance as a carnivore with no carbs. Right. And and that's what we're talking about doing. And just, again, another experiment to say, hey, this is the way we eat. People, people train on high-carb. Most of the people up to this point in time that, that do marathons have been, they're high-carb athletes. Like right. they eat so many carbs, it's it's almost hilarious. So just doing it on a fat and protein diet and using fat and protein during the race. It would be really interesting to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, today, running the six miles, I could have gone longer, but what the, the only problem I have right now is time on feet. Right. You know, the tendons, the ligaments, they have to adapt to that. And I know you've told me that. <laughs> well, you know, we watched we watched something over the uh, weekend about a, a guy who who did zero training and ran, ran a marathon. Right. Now, you can do that. You can totally do that. But you're going to risk injury. And uh, it's going to be a very painful experience if you didn't train for it and just go out and try to run it. I'm not saying you can't move 26 miles within the five, six hour window. You absolutely can because a lot of that you can walk. Right. So if you're intelligent about it and, you know, maybe you were in the past, you're a runner, you can do it. So I, I think we could probably do, uh, well, maybe you could, I don't know if I could, um, just because my knees don't like right now doing all that stuff. I, I told Melody, I'm going to start a blog called, um, zero cartilage, zero carb and see how that works out. I think that would be fantastic. Cause there's a lot of people in the same position you are with no cartilage in their knees because of past injury and they still eat the wrong foods that increase that inflammation, and it might be something that's helpful for people. Yeah. So if you're if you're were a runner that did high carb, we know high carb is going to destroy your joints. So if you were running, you know, in the 90s, and now you're in your 40s, and you've got no cartilage, but you still got that, you know, that desire to run, you can do it if you change your diet and if you have the right run form and if you train appropriately, you can still run because I do it. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just I got to build some time on my feet, you know. Yeah, anybody that's out there looking, you know, hey, I want to run a marathon, pick something that's, you know, a good three or four months out so you can uh, build up 
your tendons and ligaments to just kind of take that pressure for over that, you know, four or five hours of running so you don't have any injuries. Because people do that and they injure themselves. Right. You know, they tear a a ligament or a tendon and now they have to have surgery. So I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there right now. I'm intending to do a marathon. Right. No time frame, though. No time frame. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it could be a marathon that I start today and end on Friday. You never know. (laughs) I'm going to take naps outside in between. No, but there's, there's one in November here in Fort Worth. And then we have the Cowtown Marathon in March. Mm-hmm. So here's the kicker, though. If you do the one in November, you're running on strictly concrete. I hate running on concrete. Yeah, it's no fun. Don't like it at all. Um, but there's not as much wind in November. And it's a flat track. It's a flat, yeah, it's a flat one. And it's nice. Um, run along the Trinity River. So the second option is the Cowtown Marathon. It's March. It's super windy here in March. And that's been the complaint, the only complaint. It's like one of the best marathons around here to run in. Um, Everybody loves the Cowtown Marathon. But the only complaint is like, oh, my God, the wind. And so I'm looking at like, man, I hate running against the wind. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about the Cowtown Marathon in March is it, it's hit or miss. It could be yeah. it could be perfect weather or it could be an ice storm. One year it was 70 and one year they iced out. So. Yeah, so you just never know. No, we get all four seasons and plus some extra ones in March. <laughs> <laughs> ones we don't even know exist where it's like icy in the morning and 70 by the afternoon. So that's something that we're kicking around, just trying to maybe increase the run distance just to just to see how it feels. For me, it's a, it's a pain issue uh, dealing with the, the knees and see how they take it. I, you know, I think eating this way and maybe, you know, I've, I've worked on my run form quite a bit the last couple of years. I think I might be able to get the mileage in and get up there. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And it, w- one thing that we're doing is we're doing it as carnivores. And all our runs are fasted. All, yeah. And that's, that's I think, the best thing ever. Like that, that run this morning, I could have gone so long on just the fat coffee. And I put what, you know, on the Instagram stories exactly what we do. We have a fat coffee. We drink some exogenous ketones. We have an Ultima replenisher electrolyte drink mixed with the ketones and some salt. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And go run. And you can run for a long time. I, I never got hungry. In fact, when we got back, it took a little while for me to be like, okay, I'm ready to eat food now. We stretched for a while, showered, got ready. Then it was time, like, finally by that time, I was like, oh, okay, I can eat now. Yeah, I think that's the weirdest thing about doing the, the morning fasted workout. Now, granted, we're drinking the fat coffee, but you don't get hungry. You just go, you just run for an hour, and you never feel hungrier. You never really get totally fatigued um if, if you're running at an appropriate pace your pace you know right now we're trying to run very slow and long so it's really just turnover well i know some people's fat coffees are like 500 calories <laughs> so ours is like 140 it's really not that much so it's the coffee the fat coffee is a wash by the time we've run a couple of miles so yeah but but you know it it fills that space i think in your stomach and gives you your body something to to work on while you're running and you don't get that hunger pain right well let's just face it whether i'm running or not i'm having the fat coffee so (laughs) it's just my morning thing yeah so yeah because we were doing you know fasted other workouts Uh uh-huh so it's not like we're doing this just because we're running uh we did we did it lifting as well so Mm -hmm. 
so you have endurance and power fasted. You don't have to you don't have to pick one, or you don't have to eat before you lift, or have to eat before you run. That's I think that's the point. Right. And so you guys, if you have a need for run programs, I'm just going to plug this real quick in here that Steve is doing run programs for clients. So just contact us and he's doing a thing where you can video yourself running. He'll look and critique in a nice way. (laughs) That's not true. That's not true at all. Now, he'll assess your running style and help you correct anything that might need to be corrected so that you can understand how to run more efficiently. And that's really the whole purpose behind everything we do, whether it's diet or exercise or just life in general. It's to be efficient and productive in everything that we do. So you can contact us about that. Just send me a message on our Instagram and we'll get you set up. Yeah, and that's what I do with all the young guys I train is I, I look at run style and, and programming and say, hey, you need, to, you need to be running this way. You need to change whatever wrong you're doing. And then you need to be running this program to get faster for what you're trying to do. And everybody has different goals, whether it's you know, you're running 1.5 miles fast or you're running a 5K for fun or you're running a marathon fast. All those things are programmed differently, and that's what a run coach does. They, they program that for you. Well, I got the best compliment last week on the track was that when we got in the in the track after our workout, Steve looked at me and said, your run looked good today. Um, that's a rarity. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't I, hand out compliments like that very often <laughs> unless they're well-deserved. So I felt like I was really accomplished that day. Yeah, well, your run has improved dramatically. I mean, you look, you when you run, you look like a runner now, so... It's good. Oh, that's so weird. You used to look like a tippy toe little person running around the track. <laughs> like a tippy toe little person. That's funny. <laughs> One of the things about being a run coach is when you look at somebody and and if they run and it's weird, sometimes you're like, I really don't know what they're doing wrong. I just know it's wrong. I'm looking. I'm like, this is just all wrong. I was wrong. So you know, that's when you you put somebody into drills and try to get them to do certain things. But uh, anyway, oh something else. Okay, I just thought of this. I, I, oh, I have, okay. I, we haven't ranted yet. We haven't ranted. So we can't go a whole episode and not rant about something. It just seems wrong. They would leave. Yeah, so I got a bill in the mail from a radiology company over in Dallas. And my first thing is, is I haven't had anything done over in Dallas. Uh, I haven't had any x-rays or radiology stuff done over there. So where's this bill coming from? So I call... And this is associated with the uh, the heart scan that I got back in August. Yeah, the coronary artery calcium scan, which came back as zero. Came back as zero. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Um, so we had that done at a, a place just north of us at a hospital, and we paid up front for the service. So it was like $100. We, I know we said that. But here's the catch, was they took that scan and they sent it out to be read. So somebody read the scan, and they charged $317 to read a scan. And then tell our doctor, and then our doctor called us, and that was it. Well, here's my issue is, is we paid up front for a service, and then they, the, the people that we paid farmed out part of that service and then charged us for it. Well, no one in the process ever said, hey, we'll be sending this scan to a radiologist to have them read it and then send that to your doctor. 
the whole conversation was how much does this coronary artery calcium scan cost? It was $99. Okay. Do we need a doctor referral? No. Okay. We'll scan it, send it to your doctor, and then your doctor will call you with the results. That was the exact conversation that I had on the phone. And then we get this bill from somebody who was never mentioned in the entire process. Right. And we told you guys to go have this done, right? And we don't want you to get in this situation. So a question you'll need to ask when you go to your place to get it scanned, get your heart scanned is, is this going to be sent to someone else who's going to charge me? Like, what are the complete charges to have this scan done? Right. So we don't want you guys to have any unexpected costs like we just had. So, and also if you have any experience with, hey, how do you, how do you go back to the hospital and say, hey, you didn't tell me up front that this was going to be a cost. You shouldn't be able to charge me. Well, see, they're not charging you. Right, somebody else yeah, is. somebody else is. But yeah. no one ever said, hey, this is going to be sent to a, a another radiologist, and they're going to read it and charge you, and then send it to your doctor, and then your doctor's going and to I'm call And I'm pretty you. sure it probably only took a couple minutes maybe uh, to look at the, the scan and go, oh, yeah, that looks good. $317, please. Yeah, so, you know, this is that part of um, getting these tests done that we weren't aware that this would happen. So since it did happen to us, we wanted to share it with you. So in case you go and have this done and you get a surprise bill in the mail, <laughs> that you'll have a reference to why it happened. Everybody loves surprise bills. Surprise Everybody. bills yeah. from doctors. They're the yes. best. You know, when you get a bill in the mail and you're like, oh, awesome, thanks. Right. And if we had known that this was part of the deal, you know, not to say that we wouldn't have still done it, but we might have tried to figure out a way to go through our doctor to get it referred to make sure our insurance covered it. Right. So, and there still might be a way to do that. We'll work on this and we'll definitely give you guys details as to how it turns out so that you'll have some way of knowing how to finagle all this stuff yourself. Yeah. Awesome. Awesomeness right there. All right. Well, I got my rant out of the way. So, good. Got anything else? I did. I posted an article. Or it was a study um, the other day, and I posted it again today on how that inflammation is directly related to depression. Right. And yeah. And I. This is not anything to do. Well, it is something to do with fasting because while we want to talk about the way we're intermittent fasting, I will say that I have felt my mood to be just much lighter and better since we've been doing this. And I want to say that when you fast in a certain way and you reduce inflammation, that probably this has a good amount to do with your mood and how you feel. Because inflammation in the article, it was just saying that when you have this low, even a low level of inflammation, which most people do, Everybody is walking around with chronic inflammation these days. And they don't even know it. Yeah, they don't even really realize it. And what happens with that inflammation is that it stimulates your immune system. And then your immune system starts to um, require all the energy from your body. Mm -hmm. And what happens is this shuts down dopamine production Dopamine is that reward and task-centered area of your brain where you feel the um, like you feel like doing a task because you're going to get rewarded. 
So it's that motivation center of the brain, why people are motivated to do things. And so I asked the question, you know, why are some people more motivated than other people? And it really comes down to sometimes just inflammation. Right. When people, you, when someone looks at, at someone else and says, how are they motivated to go out and work out every day or to stay on a certain way of eating? Well, it's probably that they weren't always motivated to do that. But when you start reducing inflammation, what happens, your immune system calms down and it allows dopamine to be released again. I just thought it was a really interesting connection between how when your immune system is triggered through inflammation, that it shuts down that part of your brain as a preservation process of the body because it's like your body says, hey, we need to fix the inflammation. Forget doing things and getting rewarded for it. Right. Don't be Let, motivated. Don't let's, be motivated. Let's fix all this stuff. Let's, let's lay around so we can f- and preserve energy and conserve mm. energy so that we can fix this problem. And that's where when we say, oh, someone's lazy or they're not motivated, it's likely... Now, we don't say that, but people say that. I'm not going to say I never said that. Okay. <laughs> but that can be just a symptom of somebody that's carrying around this chronic inflammation in their body. Right. And and we also know, you know, chronic inflammation leads to autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Like So when you're, when you're chronically inflamed by eating a poor diet, you're eventually, hopefully not, but eventually it's likely that you're going to have some type of weird autoimmune disease. Which leads leads people, what in the world? I had to burp. Um, <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Yuck. So it leads people into a state of depression. It, you know, it leaves them feeling listless and like they don't want to do anything. And mm-hmm. that's something that we commonly see with people who have symptoms of depression is they just aren't motivated to do things. Well, and that goes to what we always say. When you eat better, you tend to do better. Right. And then the reason being is when you're eating better, eating something that's more healthy and appropriate for your body, your brain works better and you're going to feel more motivated to do all the fun things. Right. And the way this circles back around to intermittent fasting is intermittent fasting is a great way to reduce inflammation. Mm, Yes, absolutely. That's true. And there's my rant. And there you go. Yeah. So other than that, we've had a fantastic week and we really appreciate you guys listening and tuning in to our ridiculous show (laughs) all right well hey we do appreciate all you guys we hope you have a great day go out there eat fat and prosper thanks for listening to the tactical kitchen hit subscribe and leave us a review don't forget to send your questions to dtkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website thetacticalkitchen.com 